Ahithophel 6, starting at verse number 9. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're going to seek your face this morning and hear from your word. Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our lives? We open up our hearts and our minds to you, Lord Jesus. Would you minister your word to us today? I pray that you'd open up our understanding to help us understand and grow in the knowledge of God and in the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for your blessing on every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the word of the Lord this morning. I want you to grab a hold of hope this morning. Hope. Hope is a powerful thing uh, because whether or not you have already been saved and you've trusted in God to save you from your sins and, and bring you to reign with and live with him forever in eternity, or this is the first time you're hearing that message, either way, I want you to have hope at the end of this message. I think what the devil wants the most out of us is to rob us of our hope. Hopelessness is something that he knows a lot about because there is no hope for the devil. Uh, he has an eternal destination, which is the like of fire, but we don't have to go there. It's really a choice. It's, it's a, a choice that we have. And, and so for us, there's hope. If there's, there's an old saying, if there's breath, there's hope. If there's life still in the body, there is hope for that individual. And so I want you to grab a hold of that hope this morning. And if you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, I want you to be made aware of it this morning so that you can have that forgiveness in your life. You can have that hope. Maybe you look at your life and your situations and your circumstances and your own emotional well-being and your, your spiritual well-being, and you look and say, there's, there's not a lot of hope there. It's kind of barren and, and, and a, a little bit of, of a dry land. I want you to leave here today with hope in your heart. And at the end of this message, I'm going to invite you to come around the front. We're going to pray together. You can pray in your seat. You're welcome to stay there. There's no obligation. You don't have to come up. But there's something special about gathering together and praying together as a family. And I'm going to invite us to do that together at the end of this message because I believe it's important for us to respond to God's word in prayer. And it's even better to do that kind of praying together. So that's what, that's what they're, I'm going to preach for a little bit, and then we're going to have an opportunity to respond. You can pray in your seat, or you can pray up here at the front. But whatever the case is, I want you to leave here today with hope in your life. Now, the, the Bible verse we read here in Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Let's, let's break down some of these big Big four-syllable words, uh, especially condemnation. That that big old word, condemnation, and it's a 
it's, it's, a, it's an old, good old King James Bible word, and uh, we don't use it in our everyday vernacular. We don't use it in our everyday speaking. It's not something we say all the time. So, so what is condemnation? What does it mean? It literally means the, the adverse sentence of a verdict that was given by a judge or a jury. If you are, are guilty of a crime and you go before a, a judge, there's going to come a point in that trial and that, that deliberation where they're going to determine whether or not you are innocent or guilty. And the, the standard is you are innocent until proven guilty. And if you're proven guilty, then, then there is a condemnation on your life. There's an adverse sentence placed on you. And, and for that condemnation, you're going to probably serve some kind of time. Maybe prison, maybe community service, maybe, you know, you're going to have a, a parole officer, maybe you're going to have a fine of some kind, whatever it is, it's the result of a judgment. A judgment has been made based on your actions, based on your choices, based on how you chose to act or live or whatever it is, and the result of that judgment is your condemnation. Uh, if, if you take the word a little further, the word condemnation can mean also that something is declared unfit for use. You know, if, if someone is, is condemned in the worst sense of the accusation in some parts of the United States of America, there is still the death penalty uh, as, as a result of a particular kind of crime or offense. And so that person who is condemned to death has the worst kind of sentence that a human can put on another human life, and that is death. And so for that person, there's no hope. There's no, you know, unless the appeal is made and the sentence is reduced or, or some, maybe they're actually found innocent when they were wrongfully accused. Hopefully that's the case. But, but as, until, until that happens, there's no hope for the guilty because they... They're evident, their guilt is evident, the crime has been committed, and the sentence has been passed, and so they are now condemned. And why does the Bible emphasize this for us as followers of Jesus Christ? If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, if you have repented of your sins and you have come to God and laid it all before him, then then, then you can walk away from that encounter with God and say, there is no more any condemnation on my life. There is now hope. Before I was saved, before I repented of my sin, and repent just means you turn to God and acknowledge, yep, your word is right, <laughs> lying is a sin, and, and I'm guilty of that, so God, in your eyes, I've, I've committed sin, and and your word is right when it says that, that the, 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 the penalty of sin or the wages that sin offers me is death. But the free gift of life is found in Jesus Christ. And so repentance is just a mental acknowledgement, a, maybe a verbal acknowledgement saying, God, you are right and your word is right. And I have committed sin. I have missed the mark. I, that word sin, I, I've said this so many times because I feel like uh, in our society, in our Western world, sin gets a bad rap. That word gets a bad rap, especially the word sinner. 
God, heaven forbid anybody call anybody a sinner on social media. You will be canceled. Your account will be deleted. Everything will be shut down because how dare you call somebody a sinner, right? And I don't think you should go around saying that to people. Like this is, right, like just social graces, you know. We don't have to, to say that to somebody. That's a little much. But what's, what does sin mean? Sin means I've just missed the mark. There were like, uh, like imagine a target on the wall and I pulled back my bow and I, I launched my arrow and my arrow went over here and missed the target completely. According to the, the original meaning of that word, I have sinned. Ooh, I've missed the mark. I was aiming and I missed. Now, most of us would go, oh, no big deal. Unless you freshly painted the wall and then it is kind of a big deal and yeah, and now you've got to patch that, right? You've got, you got to fix that. that you made a mark. Uh, and, and that's what sin is. We would just say, well, just try again, right? Try to hit the mark again. That's what sin is, right? Let, let's, let's bring down the drama a little bit because, like I said, sin gets a bad rap. It's this big, and it's not really. It's, you've just missed the mark. Now, if you leave that mark unaddressed, that's going to mean eternal separation from you and God. And, and, and God does not want that. That's why you're here this morning. God was chasing after you and is pursuing you. And, and the very reason you're sitting in the seat you're sitting in this morning is not because you decided to come to church. That was part of it. But part one of that decision was God pursuing you, spiritually leading you, and drawing you to himself. He didn't leave you with that mistake on the wall. He didn't leave you in your sin, and he's not left anybody. He's always pursuing. He's always seeking. And anybody who comes to Jesus will, will confess and testify, God was reaching for me long before I ever responded, long before I walked through the door of a church, long before I, op I cracked open a Bible, long before I ever ever did anything I was feeling this draw and this pull in my heart and and, and I God is trying to get my attention he's constantly trying to get my attention I feel strongly about this you might be able to tell I'm pretty passionate when I talk about this because God is so good he doesn't leave anybody in their sin he's constantly pulling and drawing and trying to lead people to a place where they can receive forgiveness and hope Hope. Hope. So Paul writes to the church and he says, there's no condemnation. There's no verdict passed. There's no sentence that's been placed on your life. If you follow this one thing, you have to be in Christ Jesus. But the devil wants us to feel so guilty, so bad about our mistakes, our sins. Or whether we trespass or we did it blatantly, we knew it was the wrong target and we shot there anyway, or we missed just because, just because maybe we didn't even know we were really aiming for anything. Have you ever been doing something, you didn't even know why you were doing it, you just, you just did it instinctively, you know? You ever bought a, I don't know, for me, this is me, I, I buy a chocolate bar, not think about it, eat it, and then go, why did I eat that? That was gross. That, what was wrong? Like, what was possessing me to... Well, it was just sugar, and, and now my mouth feels nasty, and right? But there's, sometimes there's things under the surface driving us to, 
to look for something. We're looking for that, that satisfaction. We're looking to fill that void. There's some kind of hole that we're trying to, to satisfy, and, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're trying to find that, that fill that hole with, with drugs or alcohol or a cupcake, whatever the case is, either way, it's not going to fill. Whether it's through a relationship, you're trying to fill that void, or through some kind of success in your life, or affirmation from people around you, or your parents, or whatever it is, that hole will never be filled. Constantly dumping stuff into that hole, trying to fill it up. And, and I'm here to let you know there is a plug for that hole, and it is Jesus Christ. It's the forgiveness that God offers. It's the relationship you can have with a living God who has already been pursuing you, whether you realize it or not. Paul continues the the, the theme of this in Romans, in very many of the scriptures in Romans, he says here in, in chapter 5, verse 12, a few chapters before the one we just read, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. All men have sinned. There's no one person on the world, in the world. No preacher, no, no holy person, no, no sanctified individual on this world that has not made a mistake, messed up, sinned, or even gone against God's will on purpose. Everybody has sinned. And that nature of sin was introduced to us through a man by the name of Adam in the book of Genesis. He disobeyed God's instructions and did his own thing. He ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, leave that tree alone. Leave the knowledge of good and evil in my hands, Adam. Let me define for you what is right and what is wrong. And Adam said, well, you know, this, this snake over here had something interesting to say. He said, if, if I reached out and grabbed a hold of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and I took knowledge of what is right and wrong in my own hands, I would be like God because only God holds that knowledge. So if I hold that knowledge, then, then I will be like God. And, and it, was a, it was a deception. It was a deception. It was, it was a trick. And Adam knew what, was, what he was doing was against God's will, but he said, I want to take what is right and wrong in my own hands. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds a whole lot like what the world is screaming today from every possible platform. I define what's right for me. Nobody can tell me what is right and wrong. I tell that for myself. That's, that's what's right for me. That may be right for you. You may have heard that phrase. That may be good for you. But this is good for me. And while that sounds good, it's about as oily and slithery as the words that were uttered from that snake in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. Take the knowledge of good and evil into your own hands. But repentance, turning back to God, says, God, I'm putting the fruit back on the tree. And I'm putting the knowledge of what is right and wrong in your hands, not mine. And you define for me what is right. You, you God, I, I, I've made a mess of it. I, I come to the end of myself, and I look around, and I don't know how to fix this mess. I, I don't know where the end is and where the beginning was. And, and so, God, I put the fruit back on the tree, and I put the knowledge of what is right and wrong back in your hands. Would you please? That's repentance, folks. That's repentance. And, and, and sometimes repentance, it comes with tears because there's regret. There's regret. We made choices. We said things. We did things. We acted in ways. I've regretted. I've acted in ways. I'm not immune to this. Pastor Joel, who's 
just pastor is just a title, but I'm as human as the rest of you. I'm, I'm just as flesh and blood as the rest of you. Just because I'm, I'm elevated a little bit on the platform has nothing to do with my status as a human being. I'm, I'm just as average as, as anybody else on the street and just as prone to any kind of temptation that's out there. Why? Because I'm human. I'm just like everybody else. You are just like everybody else. And we all have a propensity to do the wrong thing. We have a propensity to live against God's will. We have this general idea and consciousness about morality. We do. I mean, even people who, who are born outside of the Christian world have a sense of what is right and wrong. They've never heard a Bible verse in their life. They couldn't tell you the Ten Commandments from the Twelve Apostles. They couldn't, they couldn't tell you the Old Testament from the New Testament. But they have a sense of what is right and wrong. They have a sense of what's honorable and what's shameful. They might have a sense of even what's powerful and what should be feared. Every society, every culture has some kind of, there's some kind of baseline knowledge within humanity of moral right versus wrong. And condemnation, or another word for condemnation is shame. Shame is a big one. It's the same thing, really. You're ashamed of your behavior and don't want anybody to know. How many of you have ever said this to yourself? Don't, don't nod yes and don't, don't affirm this visibly. This is just for you to answer internally, okay? But have you ever said to yourself or someone, if they ever knew, if they ever found out, if, if this ever came to light, and then you fill in the catastrophe that follows, right? The hurricane that never came to Canada would, would land right on your front door. The tornado that has never graced the, the city of Ajax would find its way to your house and rip open your front door and shed everything out on the street if they ever knew what your past looked like. This is something that happened to Adam and Eve in the very beginning. When they ate of that fruit, the Bible says, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And that's what shame and condemnation does to you. It makes you want to hide. I want to put this in a closet and lock the door. I want to put that, there's this dead thing in my life, this skeleton, and I'm going to hide it in this closet. I'm going to close it up and shut the door, and nobody's going to find out what I did. I don't want anybody to know. It's a secret. And the Bible says when Adam and Eve took of the fruit, they knew that they were naked, and so they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. We're even so, so driven by shame that we think we can hide things from God. We don't even want it. We don't even pray about it. We don't even talk to the Lord about it. We don't even talk to him about it. Our friend, our father, our counselor, the one who knows our frame and how we are created. He knows our beginning from our ending. There's no place that we can hide from his presence. He's been in every place. He's been in every situation and we cannot hide from him. But we try so hard, right? I've had people tell me, I can't ever come to your church. Why is that? If I'm sure that if I ever put my foot down on the carpet of that church, 
God would strike me dead right there. As if God was relegated to a church building. <laughs> and his presence was only within the four walls of that church building. And, and they forget the fact that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, and the earth and everything that's in it. And, and I mean, you're walking on the grass that God grew. And you're telling me that, that you just somehow step onto the carpet that was bought at the carpet store down the street. Probably the same carpet store you shopped at for your home carpet. We bought it from the same place, okay? We're local. We, we support local businesses in Ajax. We didn't get this carpet from the Holy Land. This didn't come from Israel. didn't come from some place where it sells carpet for churches only. This is Ajax carpet here. You're stepping on stuff that probably you stepped on when you went to Walmart or you went to some other store in the city of Ajax because it's just regular old carpet. But, 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 but people do that. They say, well, I can't even come to church because if, if God knew what I did, man, he kicked me out right so fast. Only holy people go to church. The overwhelming guilt can keep us from the presence of God. And that's what it did. It drove Adam and Eve away from God. We're going to hide ourselves from the presence of the Lord. We have overwhelming guilt over choices we've made. Maybe in our parenting choices. Mom guilt is a real thing. And moms, you need to give yourself a break. Most of you are amazing. All of you, if you're here with your kids on Sunday morning. If you've tuned into church, you've come here, you, you are taking so many right steps. It's not, it's like, go easy on yourself, please. Please, if you, if you cared for your children's basic needs today, and you hugged them when they were crying, and you got a little irritated and corrected them too, you're a good mom. But sometimes we, we undergo so much guilt and so much weight and so much stress over, over the little things. And, and that guilt can be compounded upon uh, with real issues, maybe real bad choices we made. We have lack of integrity or honesty. We missed an opportunity, some kind of traumatic experience that wasn't your fault. You couldn't have done anything to prevent it but going over and over in your mind, what if I would have done this differently? Then maybe they wouldn't have done this to me. And that, that cycle of shame and guilt that weighs you down and pushes you away, if they ever knew how dirty I was, they wouldn't want to be my friend. They wouldn't want to come. And so we, we hide. We hide. We put on masks. When people ask us, how are we doing? We say, oh, I'm doing good. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. The solution, my friend, is not to hide from God. And the solution isn't either to spill all your dirty laundry when someone says, how are you doing? Right? That's not, I'm not calling for radical honesty either. There's, you, need to, you need to be selective with whom you share those things with. You need a safe place. And you come to a safe place, by the way where you can share with, with, with the leaders of this church. You can share. We will love on you. We will pray with you. We will, we will keep things in confidence because we want God's best for your life. But the solution isn't to hide from God. If you can't tell no human individual at this point, that's okay. That's okay. Nobody's going to squeeze it out of you. But you can tell God. Not because he doesn't already know, but because there's something about you 
verbalizing it and sharing it with him yourself. It's a, it's a surrender of your will. You, he sees through the closet door, but if you open it up and examine the contents with him, he can do something about the thing that's behind the door. He knows it's there, but he won't go in without your permission, and he won't get access to what's in your life without you opening up and talking to him about it. And what Paul wanted the church to know is there is no condemnation. Jesus is not sitting on the judgment seat of the earth. He's not judging you this morning. He doesn't have a lightning bolt in one hand and a hammer in the other. No, his hands are scarred with nail prints. And the Bible says that he has engraved us on the palms of his hands. Our names are written in the nail marks of his hands and his feet because he took the punishment for our mistake. It's like a child with a parent and the child lets the arrow go and, and dings the wall in, in, in like using that that missed the mark example. It'd be like my son coming in here with a bow and arrow and trying to hit the mark and he, he misses and puts a dent in the wall. As a father, I come along and I pay for the repair. I do the repair because he's too young, too small, and doesn't have the funds to take care of it. So as a father, I come along and I patch up what he's broken and teach him how to shoot straight. That's what God does with us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He looked down the quarters of time and saw you. He saw the spiritual debt you carried. He saw the guilt and the shame that weighed you down every morning as soon as your eyes popped open. He saw how it pried your eyelids open at night and kept you from good sleep and kept your brain activated with worry, anxiety, and fear that anybody should ever find out what you did on that day in that place but I'm here to let you know that he paid for that on the cross he took the worst punishment possible on his own body because he knew we didn't have the funds to pay for it he knew we didn't have the wherewithal to fix it so he paid for it himself now all he says to us is come unto me come unto me come unto me and and I will give you Rest. Paul said there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So how do I get in? Where's the door? What's the door to get in to Christ? How do, what does that mean, go into Christ? How do I get into Jesus? Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said unto them, repent. We've talked about that already. He said, the next thing you got to do is be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name, in. How do I get in Christ? You get baptized in the name. The word, the word baptized means to be fully immersed in water. Go all the way under. Uh, Pastor, I was sprinkled as a baby. That, that was good of your parents. I'm sure they were doing what was right in their eyes and what they had been taught to do was right for you, and that's commendable. I, I applaud them for their foresight to say, we're going to raise this child to live for God, and this is the best we know how, and, and, and this is right, and our preacher said this was right, and we saw they need to be baptized, and this is what they do in our church to be baptized, and I applaud that. But just now as you're an adult, you're here now. So now that you're here, you can learn that the word baptized literally means to be immersed in water. All the way under. I wouldn't recommend doing that to a baby. 
Do that with an adult, someone who can make that decision. Peter wasn't talking to infants or children. He was talking to adults. He was talking to people that could make this decision for themselves. Baptism is a personal decision. It's a decision you need to make for you, not someone make for you when you're a child. And so Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. The word remission is another one of those big words that was pulled into the English language, and it means the forgiveness or the washing away of. When you're baptized and they call the name of Jesus over you as you go under the water, the Bible says that your sins are remitted. They're washed away. They're, 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 they're removed from your record. The, the, the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your life, and it covers the sin that was once there. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is how you get into Christ, through baptism. Baptism puts me in Christ. It makes sense. I would go in the water when Jesus' name is speaking over me. And just like the water covers my whole body, the name of Jesus covers my whole body. It's so potent that, that, that Ananias looked at the, the new convert apostle Paul and said, What are you waiting for, Paul? Acts 22.16, get up and be baptized, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. When you call on the name of the Lord when you're baptized, his name is called over you and your sins are washed away completely. Galatians 3.27 continues the teaching of this and Paul even says, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, notice the language, it, whenever you're talking baptism in the New Testament, you're going to see the word in and into a lot. Uh, uh, those of you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like putting on a new pair of clothes. You know how you all are, ladies. You go shopping, you come home, and you put on that dress, you put on that suit, you put on that new outfit, and you twirl in the mirror. My daughter does it. She puts on a new dress, and first thing she does, woo, Daddy, do you like my dress? She's, she's proud of her new clothes, and she does a little fashion show. No, she's never seen a fashion show on TV in her life. She's never seen anything, but she, she knows when she's putting on something new, she walks a little differently. My boys could care less. They put on something new, and they go jump in the mud puddle. They, it's, it's a different thing. Boys are different. Uh, but... You know what it's like. When you put on something new, you're proud of it. You walk a little taller. You walk a little straighter. Ben, when you, when you invest in a nice suit or a nice jacket, you wear it proudly. You're, you're excited to put it on. It, it feels good. You walk differently. When you put on Christ, you put on a new pair of clothes, you live differently. You act differently because you've got a new outlook on life. You've got a new covering of your whole self. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there's that word in again, he is a new creature. When do I become a new creature? When I get in Christ. How do I get in Christ? I get in Christ when I'm baptized in his name and filled with his spirit. His spirit lives in my life. But I want you to see this even from a, a more uh, powerful example. And maybe this, this, this when I... When this came to my understanding and the dots were connected, there was a major, it was so exciting for me. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, I don't want you to forget. You need to remember this. This is so important. 
Dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago, he's referring to, if you know your Bible history, the story of the Exodus. Moses goes back to Egypt, says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Egypt had enslaved Israel for 400 plus years. Moses says, let my Pharaoh, people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, okay, 10 plagues. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Pharaoh says, no, still not doing it. Every, every plague came. Pharaoh said, no, 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 no. And on plague number 10, when God gave back to Pharaoh the medicine that he poured out on the people of Israel by killing all of their firstborn children, God said, okay, fine, I'm going to, this is it, Pharaoh. You had nine opportunities to let it go, but we're going we're gonna to turn you, we're going to turn your own medicine back on you. And Pharaoh, the angel of death is coming to Egypt. And if, if you don't cover your house in the blood of a lamb on the doorposts and the lintel, and mop that doorpost of your home in, the, in lamb's blood, then the angel of death is going to visit your home and kill the firstborn son of every one of your family members and dogs and cattle and everything in your house. And finally, Pharaoh said, okay, when the plague was over, he said, get out of here. Get your people and get out. You have ravaged this land. You have made this land a waste. Get out, get out, get out. And they leave. And the Bible says that they walk and they walk and they walk and they find a little valley, the Lord leads them to this, this, this place, this encampment, and it's, and it's between two large rocks. There's one pathway to the sea, and God leads them down the one pathway to the sea. If you could look at it on a Google map, you'd see that there's one road in to this place where God leads them. And he leads them to the edge of the water of the Red Sea, and they camp out there. And when Pharaoh hears that they are camped at the banks of the Red Sea, he said, good, let's go get them. We're going to go with 600 chariots and an army of people, and we're going to drag these slaves. We're going to kill as many as we can't carry, and we're going to drag the rest back to Egypt. They're going to be slaves forever, and they're going to, they're going to rue the day they ever decided to leave the nation of Egypt. And you might have heard the story or watched the movie, and Moses by the instruction of God, steps out on the bank of that, that sea and raises his rod over the waters. And the Bible says that God caused a strong wind to blow. And it divided the waters. And it was dry on the ground. And there was a wall of water on either side of the people. And they walked through the sea on dry ground. Psalm 106 verse 9 says, He rebuked the Red Sea. God rebuked the thing that stood in their way. They were free from Egypt, but they weren't yet delivered from his hand. They had left the world. Egypt is like the world. They had left Satan's bondage on their life through Pharaoh. And they were free. And that's what happens. You, a, a lot of you have prayed a prayer, a sinner's prayer. And that's wonderful because it's like your exodus from the world, your exodus from Egypt, your exodus from sin. And you finally come to yourself and you say, I have sinned and I need God. And you pray that sinner's prayer and you leave the world. You leave sin. You leave Satan and you leave everything behind and you begin to follow God. You did it this morning. You left your house. You came to church. You came to church, you said, I'm going to put God first today on this first day of the week, and I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to leave and come. And you did. You, leave, you left and you came, and you left everything behind. But you come up against an obstacle of shame and condemnation. 
You come up against the obstacle of your own sin. You come up against the obstacle of your past, and it's like an ocean. You start trying to wade in those waters, and you quickly start sinking in the water of condemnation and guilt and shame, and you try to step on the water, and the water's cold. It chills the body. It chills the soul. It goes right down to the core of your being because it's that guilt that I did this. I'm guilty of this. Nobody's ever going to forget. If anybody ever knew of this about me, they, would, they wouldn't even want to be near me. There's, I, I'm, I'm drowning in the waters of my own condemnation. But here they are at the edge of the sea. And they look at Moses and they say, how, how did you bring us here to the edge of the sea to die? And, and God says, stretch your arm out over the waters, Moses. And Moses stretches his arm out and the waters part and they go through the sea. And Paul calls back to the memory of the Israelites. He says, I want you to remember this. Don't forget this, this thing that happened. Because when they were at the water's edge and they walked through the sea on dry ground, verse 2, 2 Corinthians 10, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. God did a mass baptism. Four million people in one day. Now, that's a revival. That, 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 that's pretty impressive. I like these churches that post on their social media feed, we had 10 baptized today. Ah, praise God. Hallelujah. And God's like, yeah, I did 4 million in one. Just whoop, all through at once. Because all 4 million walked through on dry ground. They were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. There was a cloud overhead. And there was a sea on either side. And they all went down in the water, all fully immersed, if you will, and came out on the other side because God rebuked the thing that stood in their way. The Bible says, He saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed him from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. When the enemy tried to come through the water to get them and pull them back, to the bondage and in slavery they were in before, the Bible says the waters covered the enemy. The enemy drowned in the same water. The water that was salvation for the Jews became the, the, the graveyard for Egypt. The water that is the salvation for you, baptism in Jesus' name, is the graveyard for all of your guilt and condemnation and the voice of Satan that said you'll never be good enough if they only knew what you did, if they only... I can look him square in the face when he tries that line with me and says, Satan, it's under the blood, it's under the sea, and if you try to come through the water to get me, God's going to drown you, Satan. God's going to drown you in that water because you can't get through the water. When they got to the other side and all the people got on the other end of that sea, the waters crashed in and closed the roadway that had opened for them because God wanted there to be an everlasting memory that every time they got baptized, they realized those waters parted when I went under. And when I came up, I was on the other side of my sin. I was on the other side of my bondage. I was on the other side of my Egypt. I was on the other side of my addiction. And I, while I may still have to deal with the remnant memory of what happened to me, I may still have to deal with the emotional scars. They, you know, they went through the water, but they still had the whip scars on their body. 
They, they still had the, the, the physical memory of when a hand would raise, they would go like this because, ooh, that was, the, that was what happened when, they, when the slave drivers came along and you're not working hard enough. A hand goes up and many of them flinch like that. They still had muscle memory. And some of you still, all it is is a scar. That's all it is. It's a scar of what happened to you when you go down in the waters of Jesus' name. The chains of that thing come off in the water. Just recently, a friend of mine was baptizing. I read this. It was, uh, no, I'm sorry, not a friend of mine. This happened to a friend of mine who was baptizing in a prison, but there was a recorded incident in a magazine from our fellowship of a prison, uh, a prison ministry. They went in. The, the one guy was on death row. He was scheduled to be executed and said, I see it. I want to be baptized. And he prayed a simple prayer before he went to the baptism. He said, God, I, I really believe everything this preacher's saying about baptism, how it's going to wash away my sin. But if you could, if you just do something for me, when I get baptized, you somehow make the chains fall off my body. They're going to baptize me in chains because I'm scared. They're afraid that if I, if I get loose from my chains, I'm going to try to escape. So they'll let me get baptized on the condition that I'm still chained, hand and foot. So God, if, if when I go down in that water, she didn't tell anybody this prayer, and you pull me up out of that water, the chains fall off, then, then I'll know. I'll know I'm good. I'm, I'm secure forever. And it doesn't matter what, what happens to me from that point forward. And they, nobody knew he prayed this prayer, but they took him to the, the horse trough that they set up for baptisms in the, in the prison in the U.S., and, they put him down in the water and they said, in Jesus' name. And when he came up out of the water, his hands shot up into the air. And the guards pulled out their guns. They were ready because the man didn't have any chains on anymore. They looked in the water and at the bottom of that baptismal tank, that makeshift tank, was a pile of chains. And he went willingly. They, were, they freaked out. And every one of those guards... Put down their, when they, when they secured him, they, they realized what had happened. And they said, we want, if God is powerful enough, to loose the physical chains off this man and set him free emotionally and spiritually. We want whatever is in that water. We want that kind of freedom. We want that kind of liberty. I, so what am I here to tell you this morning? If you are struggling with guilt and condemnation. There's something, there's nothing special. This is old Ajax water that's treated with a little chlorine to keep you from getting sick. But when we put you down in that water, the thing that's going to make a difference is the name of Jesus that is called over you. And when that name of Jesus is called over you, when you, when you, I mean, it takes a lot of faith to let someone else put you underwater and pull you back up, okay? So there's a lot of trust involved there. It's a real act of faith. It's the biggest leap of faith you can take because if you think about it from a natural perspective, it's crazy. Go let someone push you underwater, <laughs> call a name over you and pull you up. What's that going to do for you? But if you believe that what God's word says is true, that by obeying the word of God, your sins will be washed away. Those chains will fall off of you. I'm here to let you know here is water. What is hindering you? What's standing in your way? What do you have to lose this morning from saying yes to God and saying yes to his word? You can leave here with hope. Maybe you've had that experience, but 
but you needed a reminder this morning. Your sin is on the other side of the Red Sea. Your sin is on the other side of that. Your life of yesterday is behind you. I don't care if you sinned this morning. The Bible says that if you are if you confess your sin to Jesus, you don't have to come to me and confess your dirty sins to me or your dark details to me. You don't have to do that. You can go straight to Jesus because if you talk to him, the Bible says that you have fellowship with him and his blood cleanses you again from all sin. It's like you get rebaptized every time you pray. Once you've been baptized once, it's good for life. All you have to do is keep up that conversation with Jesus and saying, Lord, forgive me of my sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you stand with me this morning? Well, I'm not standing, but if you would stand, we're going to pray. We talked about it at the beginning of this message. There's an opportunity for you to come and pray and talk to the Lord. Maybe this is resonating with your heart. Maybe you've already been baptized. You've already had that experience of having the name of Jesus called over you in baptism, and that's wonderful. Then this should be a time of renewing for you at the altar. This should be a time of, uh, 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 of refocusing your heart with Jesus again this morning. But if you've never had that opportunity to be baptized in Jesus' name, we have water here today. We have gowns. We have robes. We can do it today. We can schedule a time for you to do it this week. Whatever the case is, but, but would you respond to God this morning in prayer? Our first step is repentance. Our first step is coming to the altar and repenting of our sins and talking to Jesus. So would you come? Would you come and pray and talk to God for just a few moments? Pray to Him this morning and seek His face. Oh, come to the altar.